Well, man, I'm so excited to um, be with all of you on Christmas Eve. Uh, it's always a special time of year that we get to celebrate, and um, just something about this time of year that the church, you know, truly comes alive with all of the candle lights and the, and, and, and the lights and the decorations and all of the goodies and everything that, that we do to go over and above to celebrate Jesus' birth. And I can't think of a better way for us to spend Christmas Eve than together um, talking about the goodness and the faithfulness of our God. Amen? Amen. If you got your Bible, um, you got a smart device, uh, I'm going to invite you to turn with me to uh, the book of Proverbs um, that I just shared with those boys and girls, Proverbs chapter 19, um, and we'll get there uh, eventually this morning, um, but you can put a finger there or just mark it there on, on your smart device, but um, I, I got to know, how many of you have ever gotten a gift on Christmas, and you open it up, and your first thought was, not even close. Like you looked at the person and, and maybe, uh, hopefully you didn't verbalize this out loud, but you had the thought, like, have we even met before? <laughs> like, do you know me at all? It makes me think of um, the movie A Christmas Story where, you know, Ralphie receives the pink bunny suit from his aunt. And he doesn't want that thing, but what do his parents make him do? They make him go upstairs and put it on. You know, his dad says, you look like a deranged Easter bunny. <laughs> See, most of us, we're going to gather together with family and friends over the coming days. We're going to exchange gifts back and forth with each other. And inevitably, something that you get this year will be the wrong size. It'll be the wrong color. It'll be the wrong scent. It will be the wrong model. It'll be something that maybe you already have. And so instead of a gift, you'll actually receive a hassle. Because now you have to go to the trouble to mailing your gift back and reordering the correct one or going to the store, searching for the right item, and then waiting in line at customer service to make the exchange. Or even worse, you'll just end up getting stuck with that gift and you'll have to bring it out or wear it whenever that person that gave it to you comes around year after year. See, Christmas can be tough for a lot of people because it can set us up for disappointment. That's not what the songs say, is it? No, they say that Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year. That it's the season to be jolly. That we are simply having a wonderful Christmas time. But if you and I are being honest, Christmas doesn't always go according to plan. And instead, we can feel let down by it all. There's, there's so many expectations around this time of year. The gifts and the family and the food and the travel and the money and the church and the kids and on and on and on. All of these things that we've made a list, we've checked it twice, we're, we're trying to make sure that everything is perfect. But no matter how hard we try, it always seems that something goes awry. And sometimes the disappointment that you and I experience seemingly comes from God himself, and, and we can even get to the point where we feel like that he is the one that's letting us down. So the question is, when, when that happens, and when we find ourselves in, in that situation, what do we do? Today we're wrapping up a series called Missing Peace, where over the course of this Advent season, we've been taking a look at what the Bible has to say about the subject of peace, 
in the hopes of positioning ourselves to experience the peace of God, not only at Christmas, but all year long. The very first Christmas began with an angelic announcement of peace on earth, but when you and I look around, it seems like peace is nowhere to be found. And often, you and I, we are left searching for peace in the midst of the disappointment that comes along whenever things don't go according to plan, whenever it doesn't happen the way that we thought or we hoped that it would. The good news for us this morning is that the people in the Bible, they were certainly no stranger to feelings of disappointment. In fact, when we look closely at the events taking place in and around the very first Christmas, we'll find no greater lesson in dealing with disappointment than in the lives of Jesus' parents, Mary and Joseph. If you remember back to last week, Jesus came on the heels of a period of 400 years where God was completely silent. And then one night, seemingly out of the blue, there's some shepherds in their fields tending their flocks, and suddenly an angel shows up out of nowhere and starts talking to them. We read that story in Luke chapter 2. And in verses 10 through 12, Luke writes, but the angel reassured them, don't be afraid. He said, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. The angel said that the Savior would be recognized by a sign, that he'd be wrapped up, lying in a manger. And when we read that, we, we think this couldn't possibly be how the king of the Jews would come onto the scene, could it? Shouldn't he be dressed in, in flowing purple robes, lying in a golden bassinet and a spacious room of some stately palace somewhere? But things didn't necessarily go according to plan, or at least a plan that you and I could understand. The sign is that he would be wrapped in cloth. There are three times in scripture that Jesus was wrapped. In Luke chapter 2, he's wrapped in strips of cloth laid in a borrowed manger. And it's here that he gave us his presence. In John chapter 13, he is wrapped in a towel, kneeling in a borrowed upper room. And it's here that he set an example for us through his service. And in Mark 15, we find him wrapped in a burial cloth, lying in a borrowed tomb, where he gave himself to us as a sacrifice. The sign of his wrappings is that he was born to serve, born to sacrifice, born to die. The story continues in verses 13 and 14 of Luke chapter 2. It says, suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. There it is, the promise of peace on earth. But in the events that unfold, there's seemingly anything but peace to be found. It's in this place that instead we find what appears to look a lot like disappointment. 
You know, it really is a story worthy of a Hallmark or Lifetime special. A young couple forced to navigate betrayal, deceit, and relational devastation. They are unfairly criticized and shamed, humiliated. They're forced to endure the traumatic birth of their firstborn child in a town that's not their home, only to then have to flee like fugitives under the cover of night to save their son and to protect his future. All because they were simply trying to do what God had told them to do. I once heard Pastor Craig Rochelle retell this story something like this. Joseph proposed on the Bethlehem Bridge posted photos of the engagement to Instagram, and it received record likes. He and Mary had big plans together. A May wedding, a honeymoon at an all-inclusive resort in Rome. They would pay off Joseph's trade school loans while renting an apartment for their first two years. After that, they'd save up to build a starter home in a nice suburban neighborhood in Nazareth. Joseph would expand his carpentry business. He would hire on some staff, and meanwhile, Mary would be at home with the kids. The invitations had been addressed and stamped, and they were ready to send out, but now they had to call off the engagement. And this was something worse than just public humiliation. This was personal betrayal. Joseph loved Mary. He trusted her. How could she go and do this to him? Then imagine how Mary must have felt. She's 14 or 15 years old at this time, her whole life in front of her. She hadn't done anything wrong. In fact, she had done everything right. But now Joseph is considering divorcing her. Before it even got started, everything seemed to be falling apart. And this was not the plan at all. Mary thought to herself, God, I I said yes to you. And now Joseph hates me? I'm the laughing stock of my family. My life is over. This is not what I had planned. Maybe you've had a year like that. Maybe this was the year you were finally going to get to go on that vacation. Maybe this was the year that you were finally going to get the promotion. You were finally going to earn the degree. You were finally going to get engaged. You were finally going to fix your marriage. You were finally going to get pregnant. But all of those things you thought were going to happen, they didn't happen at all. This wasn't the plan. Here we are on the cusp of another year, and it seems like some of us are just stuck in this cycle, doomed to repeat the events of the year before. And in this moment, some of you are crying out, saying, God, I I don't understand. I just don't understand. This morning, I want to talk to you about two truths for us to stand on. When we don't understand. Two truths to stand on when you don't understand. If you're taking notes, maybe you want to write these down. Truth number one, you don't have to understand the plan to trust God has a purpose. You don't have to understand the plan to trust God has a purpose. 
Proverbs 19, 21. You've maybe turned or swiped there. It's the verse that I shared with the boys and girls earlier. It says, you can make many plans, but the Lord's purpose will prevail. That first Christmas, Mary and Joseph's plans, they were, they were blown to smithereens. Disappointment ensued. They felt the way that you do whenever your plans don't turn out the right way. Now, now what? Now, now what do we do? God had interrupted their plans and instead had given them the most complicated, inconvenient, untimely, and unfair assignment that anyone could possibly imagine. An angel appears to Mary and tells her that she's going to give birth to Jesus, the Savior, the Messiah. She says, how in the world can this happen? And the angel says that it's going to happen through the power of the Holy Spirit. And her response in Luke 138 is simply, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. See, Mary trusted the plan, even though she didn't understand. Mary, no doubt, was flooded with the excitement and anticipation of, of this blessing. And she couldn't wait to tell Joseph, only he was devastated whenever he heard the news. Put yourself in his shoes. Like in that moment, he's thinking, not only has Mary cheated on me, but she's also a crazy lunatic. <laughs> this certainly put him between a rock and a hard place. We read part of this story in, in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. It says, This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph, but, the marriage, but before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. There's a lot of questions about this particular scenario in the Hebrew marriage, it happened in two stages. The first stage was the Kiddushin. Everybody say Kiddushin. That sounds like a move from like Mortal Kombat or Street Fighter. Like, Kiddushin, you know. I don't know. That was for the kids. There you go. The Kiddushin was the engagement. And then there was the Huppa. Everybody say Huppa. The Huppa was the marriage ceremony. And the Kiddushin engagement, it was, it was a binding contract, but without physical consummation. And the chuppah ceremony would have taken place then at a later time. And the way that this worked, that had the man died prior to the chuppah, because of the Kiddushin, the woman would have been considered a widow. And so following the Kiddushin, Mary ends up pregnant. But knowing that they had not yet been intimate, Joseph is now crushed. So he plans a quiet divorce to spare Mary and mitigate the situation as best as possible. We continue reading in Matthew chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, and then also verse 24. It says, as he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Verse 24, when Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. 
Joseph was able to realize that perhaps in the middle of this chaotic mess that he and Mary found themselves in, that God was still at work. And Joseph decided to trust the plan, even though he didn't understand. Which leads us to the second truth. Truth number two, your disappointment with God might be a divine appointment from God. Your disappointment with God might very well be a divine appointment from God. I once read a story about a man named Oswald Smith. The year was 1920. The scene was the examining board for the selection of missionaries. Standing before the board was a young man named Oswald Smith. One dream dominated his heart. He wanted to be a missionary. Over and over again, he had prayed, Lord, I want to go as a missionary for you. Open a door of service for me. And now, at last, his prayer would be answered. But when the examination was over, the board turned Oswald Smith down. He did not meet their qualifications. He had failed the test. Oswald Smith had set his direction, but now life had given him a detour. What would he do? As Oswald Smith prayed, God planted another idea in his heart. If he could not go as a missionary, he would just build a church which could send out missionaries. And so that's exactly what he did. Oswald Smith pastored the People's Church in Toronto, Canada, which sent out more missionaries than any other church at the time. Oswald Smith brought God into the situation, and God transformed his detour into a main thoroughfare of service. See, some of you have had some things not go according to plan. And as a result, you've been left feeling unsettled, disappointed, not at peace. And in those moments, you're having to pivot. That's a word that we've gotten accustomed to using here over the past three plus years. That when things don't happen the way that we think that they should, we, we pivot. The same was true for Mary and Joseph. Caesar Augustus had issued a decree for a census to be taken. And so they have to travel all the way to Bethlehem. It's a 90 mile trip over rough terrain in the Judean desert. They would have experienced freezing temperatures at night. These are the perfect travel conditions for a pregnant woman on the back of a donkey in her last trimester. Right? Yeah. All the husbands are like, sign me up for that one. No. The trip would have taken them over two weeks to complete. And then when they get there, there's no room. There's nowhere for them to stay. And so they have to settle for a borrowed stable. And guess what? It smelled like poop. And the only visitors to come and greet them and celebrate the birth of their baby were these strange shepherds. And, and guess what? They also smelled like poop. <laughs> and before they can even catch their breath and, and settle into being parents of a newborn, they learn that, that King Herod wants to kill their baby. And so in the middle of the night, they have to, to pick up and run and flee to Egypt. This announcement of peace on earth for Mary and Joseph had quickly turned into hell on earth. Perhaps you can relate. 
Then we fast forward 33 years to the cross. The girl who three decades before had said yes to God is now watching as her son hangs in front of her. Stripped naked, beaten unrecognizable. He had been tortured. He's there on the cross gasping for air. And Mary watches as he takes his last breath. This is not what she had planned. But this is the culmination of the Christmas story. For that little baby to grow up and become a man. Remember the sign. He would be wrapped in strips of cloth. It was a foreshadowing of the baby who was born to serve, born to sacrifice, born to die. And this was God's plan for Mary and Joseph because this was God's plan for Jesus. But that plan, it wasn't random, it wasn't arbitrary, it wasn't mere coincidence or happenstance. It had a purpose. You were that purpose. Matthew 1.21 says it all. And she will have a son. And you were to name him Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. So this morning, if you find yourself in a situation where you're experiencing a change of plans that you don't understand, remember, your disappointment with God might be a divine appointment from God. He's not disciplining you. He's developing you so that his complete work can come to fruition in your life. You can make many plans. We can write them down. We can pray them. We can on and on and on. We can tell everybody what we're going to do. We can get everything in order. But the Lord's purpose will prevail. The good news for us today is you and I, we don't have to understand the plan to trust in the purpose. So a simple prayer for us as we bring this message to a close and as we fully enter into this Christmas season and then look ahead to the turning of the page to a new year is to come to the place where you can say, God, I don't understand, but I choose to trust in your plan. See, this morning... The message of Christmas is not asking us to trust in a baby. But instead, to trust in a baby that was born to serve, born to sacrifice, born to die. A baby that would grow up to become a man who would go to the cross to die in our place paying the penalty for our sin so that we could experience freedom and forgiveness. A baby that would grow up to become a man that would be placed in a tomb that three days later the stone would roll away and that he would rise from the dead, offering all of us 
eternal life. That is what we place our hope and our trust in this Christmas. That is the invitation. You all have a cup that looks something like this in your seat or in a seat near you. The invitation of Christmas is an invitation to the table. The same invitation that Jesus gave his followers on the night that he was betrayed is the same invitation that is extended to you and me today. These elements that we have in our hand, they are not what save us, but they are symbolic of the work of Christ he did on our behalf that when we place our hope and our trust in him that this life is no longer the thing that we are living for that we are living for something so much more I invite you this morning to receive the gift the body of Christ that was broken for you so that you could be healed and made whole take and eat blood of Christ that was poured out so that you and I could be forgiven and set free from the power and grip of sin. Take and drink. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, just ask that in the moments of this life where we don't understand that you would help us to trust in your plan God I pray that this Christmas season that every single person within the sound of my voice would come to the recognition and, and realization that you sent your son to be born to serve, born to sacrifice, born to die. His life for ours. Lord, I pray that you would help us to open our hearts, open our lives, everything that we are, that we would receive the gift of your salvation this Christmas. And that in return, that we would choose to live your way and to follow your lead. And as we go through this life, when things don't make sense, and when we simply don't understand, that you would help us to always trust in your purpose and your plan for us. Thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus, the salvation that he offers, the forgiveness that he brings, the, the healing and the wholeness that he contributes everlasting life that we already have to look forward to for those of us that have placed our hope and trust in him as Lord and Savior. We give you the glory, the honor, the power, and the praise. In your most holy name we pray these things.